Take your Bible and join me this morning, Revelation 17. I'll confess to you, folks, we're fixing to get in deep, and I can't help it. Uh, you're going to have to put your hip boots on uh, to help me try to get all of this together. Because we are coming to the conclusion of a day set aside by the Lord for the end of this world to happen. Now, it, it's already set. It's already done. God, God is not sitting in heaven and watching what's going on and then saying, gee, maybe this is the time or maybe not the time. He's not doing that. He's already got that day set. What we're doing now is we're marching toward that day. Now, since we've been in the book of Revelation, we have understood that there will come a time of a rapture. It's a taking away, a snatching away of the born-again believers in Christ. Now, we call it the rapture of the church, but the church as such is not a denomination. It is those who have truly accepted Christ as their Savior, born again, and because of that relationship with Him, then He will take those people out. Thus begins seven years of tribulation. We have come through the tribulation. We have seen in chapter 13 where the uh, dragon stands on the seashore and he sees the beast come out of the sea. That is the Antichrist. He sees the beast rise from the earth. That is the false prophet. The false prophet, and this is what I'm getting to here in chapter 17. The false prophet is the leader of the church of the tribulation. You say, you mean you're going to have church in the tribulation? Oh, yeah. And we're fixing to see it. But what you're going to see is nothing that you and I call church today. Now, when we read chapter 17, we have to ask ourselves the first question. Is this an extension of chapter 13 where we met those two beasts? Antichrist, false prophet. Or... Is this a part of the seventh bowl, the vial, that was poured out at the end of chapter 16? So we have to understand which one that is. If it's just an extension of chapter 13, then it, it's just uh, talking about uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet and, and the things that they're doing. I really and truly believe that chapter 17 is an extension of the pouring out of the seventh bowl. Because when that bowl is poured out, you, you read uh, there about lightnings and thunderings and voices and, and uh, mighty earthquakes and the great city was divided in three parts, that's Jerusalem, and great Babylon, see that in verse 19 of chapter 16, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The great Babylon is what we're about to read of here. But we have to understand basically what this means to us and what it's saying to us. Now, let's read, beginning in chapter 17, verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses. 
And there came one of the seven angels which had seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come here, I will show you the, the judgment of the great prostitute that sits upon many waters. Now in the King James, it calls her a great whore or prostitute. The word is pornea. It means there's no sexual restraint. There's lewdness involved. So that is how this uh, one is identified. The great prostitute that sits on many waters. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And in the inhabitants of the earth have made, been made drunk with wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. Full of names of blasphemy. Having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now, if you just read that, you read that and then you close your book and you say, huh. And you never go back again. Because unless we get down into this, you really don't understand what all this is, is, is talking about. Because as we come to the end of this tribulation... We have to understand the words that he's using, and you'll notice the identification here in verse 5, Babylon the Great in verse 19 of chapter 16. The great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give her the cup of wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So what is this all about? Is this Babylon that we're talking about here, is this Babylon on the Euphrates or is this Babylon on the Tiber River? We know of Babylon on the Euphrates River. It's in Iraq. But what about the Babylon that is on the Tiber River? And you say, well, where's that? Tiber River is, is the longest river in the country of Italy. And it flows from Rome. Okay? And we're going to make that come together here in just a minute. So we're looking at what is this Babylon and who is it? Okay. Now, in Genesis chapter 10, Noah's son Cush had a son named Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty warrior. Nimrod was a mighty hunter. And Nimrod built a city called Babel. And he built that city so that he could gather everybody together and not lose who's there. This is called the land of Shinar. It's in Iraq. And the land of Shinar, where Babylon was built, Nimrod built a tower up to God. And the tower was so that they could make a name for themselves and they would keep everybody together right here in this one place. And so Nimrod leads this and they begin to build a tower. 
In verse 5, God says, let's go down there and see what they're doing. And he sees what they're doing. He sees the tower that we refer to as the Tower of Babel. And it's being raised toward heaven because they had no regard for God. They were going to be their own God and climb up into the heavens and be a part of this God, whoever he was. And God said, let's confuse them. Now, you all know that story, don't you? If you've been in church, you know the story. Now, the word Babel means confusion by mixing. So what happened was they all were working one day and they spoke the same language. They came back the next day and 15 of them were speaking Texan and the rest of them didn't understand what they said. Amen? Yeah. He mixed up all the languages. They couldn't understand each other. And they dispersed. Out they go. Now, let me tell you something that happened during this time. And just just hang on for a second. Nimrod had a wife, and her name was Sumerimus. Okay? Sumerimus. Sumerimus had a son named Tammuz. And she said that he was conceived... By a sunbeam. Okay? Now, when Tammuz grew to be a young man, he was killed by a wild boar, hog. Now, when he died, Sumerius wept for Tammuz 40 days. At the end of the 40 days, Tammuz rose from the dead. This caused a worship of the queen of heaven, worship of mother and son, Sumerius and Tammuz. And they would celebrate. They would have every year 40 days of a, a Lent. And when it ended, there would come what was known as the Feast of Ishtar. To celebrate the resurrection. And they gave Ishtar eggs. To celebrate life. Now. In Assyria. The name of this woman was Ishtar. And the son was Tammuz. In the Phoenician language. Her name was Ashtaroth. And her son's name was Baal. In Egypt. Her name was Isis, and her son was named Osiris. In Greece, she was called Aphrodite, and her son's name was Eros. In Rome, she was called Venus, and her son's name was Cupid. And you say, well, that's just a fairy tale. Jeremiah chapter 44, beginning in verse 15 talks about offering to the queen of heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel was sent by God to see the women as they worshipped Samiris and Tammuz, the one whose son had risen from the dead. That kind of a story comes from what you and I know of 
as Almighty God, sending His Son, lived, died, rose again, and ascended back into heaven. But those stories are given so that all of it can be changed without ever mentioning God because they can say all of these other people did the same thing. But if you read the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, there is never mentioned a female deity that is to be worshipped. Now, ladies, I'm just a messenger. But there's never a mention of it. So you can't have a queen of heaven. And some people will say, well, it was Mary. Let me tell you about Mary. Mary raised Jesus, let him go. She stood at the foot of his cross, and he sent her home with John. And the next time we read about Mary is when she goes in the upper room and filled with the Holy Spirit, comes down and tells people about Jesus. Not her son, Jesus. Mary is never worshipped. Mary is, is never lifted up as some queen of heaven. We're not talking about Mary. We're not talking about any female deity. Female deities that were worshipped were idols. Guess what these six verses are about? Idols. Idols. The church of the tribulation is going to be not a called out ones. And that's what the word church means. The church, uh, as far as we're concerned, the name is, uh, the, na- the word for church is ecclesia, and it means called out ones. Those who have been called out by God. And those of us who are part of the church are those who have been called out by God, and we have been saved. And so now we are called out. But this church of the tribulation, They're going to establish the church, but in Revelation 13 and verse 14, when the false prophet comes on the scene and the Antichrist has risen from the dead, so to speak, it's a counterfeit that Satan covers up, and then when that happens, he's going to build a deity. He will place that image of the the beast, the Antichrist, in the temple in Jerusalem. That breaks the treaty. That's the halfway point for the tribulation. He will establish himself in the temple as that which is to be worshipped by all of the world. And by hook and by crook, they're going to establish the religion of the day. Chapter 17 is the ecclesiastical Babylon. Those who sought not God, but to be their own God. And so much others, such as this story that I just told you that Ezekiel uh, tells us about and Jeremiah tells us about. So we know that was taking place. It was happening. So who is this mystery? Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots. Let's first of all look at the seduction of the woman of the church. We've read those six verses. So let's go back to it and see what happens here in those six verses. The beginning, you'll notice in verse 1, the angel, one of the seven angels that had the seven vials, we don't know which one it was, doesn't matter. He came and he told John and he said, come here, I will show you the great judgment of of the great prostitute that sits upon many waters. John is invited to meet the harlot of the scarlet beast. We'll get to that beast here in just a minute. But when he is brought there, then he sees how she is, I Identified. Who is this scarlet, uh, this woman that's a part of the scarlet beast? Verse 1, we've already talked about this. 
She is a prostitute. She is someone who will give anything that she has so that she can lure the people to come in and she will make them bring stuff to her and give stuff to her. She is a prostitute. Verse 2 says, she sits on many waters. Or verse 1, the end of verse 1. She sits on many waters. The people, the masses of that day. We'll read about that again in just a moment. Verse 2 says that there are the kings of the earth are her lovers. They come to her because they want to get favors from her. And she extracts from them their wealth, their power, and she brings it upon herself so that if they want things, they have to come through her. And then it says that she is one that rides on a seven-headed, ten-horned beast. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. We'll get to them in just a moment, too. In verse 4, she carries a golden cup that is full of abominations. That word abominations means idols. It is full of idols. We can worship this one. We can worship this one. We can worship this idol. You want to worship this idol? Worship this idol. She has a cup full of abominations, a cup full of idols. In verse 5, she has a title. The title written, Mystery. Mystery is not something that you and I think about when we think about the movies that we see. A mystery in the Scripture is something that is never understood until God begins to reveal what that is. So she is a mystery. Babylon the Great, and we'll talk about Babylonianism in just a little bit. What is this Babylon and the Babylonianism that, that she's talking about? The mother of harlots. In other words, she has many that are underneath her that do the same thing that she does. The mother of harlots. And abominations. Detestable idols of the earth. That is this one that John sees. She's identified with Babylon dressed in scarlet and purple. And those were the symbols of wealth in that day. She has great wealth. She is drunk on the blood of saints. She has killed all of those that refuse to worship the image of the beast. She has killed everyone that has turned themselves to Christ and will not take the mark of the beast. She has killed... Uh, people time and time and time again, and the martyrs that we have lined up that are coming into the presence of God. If you go back into the 1500s, some of you may not like history, but I got to get this in. If you go back into the 1500s, there is a thing called the Inquisition. Are you familiar with it? The Inquisition is when the Catholic Church stepped in to stop the Reformation of Martin Luther and John Calvin and many others. It was during the Inquisition that they began to introduce praying for people to come get out of hell and into heaven. Okay? But they had to be paid money. Luther, Martin Luther wrote about the Russian church wanting to join in with the movement of the Reformation and join in with the church at that particular time. 
But they were charged so much money, they refused to come in and be a part of the church. This inquisition, it is said that between 1540 and 1570, that they can pretty well tell that there was close to 900,000 people killed by that church to maintain one church and one religion. The Inquisition took place during that time. Now, for us as Christians, one of the greatest blights on Christian people was back in the 1100s when the Crusades happened. And we rode through Jerusalem and we were going to force everybody to be a Christian. Remember that? That's a blight against us as Christians. And here is this other, the Inquisition, that took so many lives and so many people that were dead because they wanted to be one church of the whole entire land. Part of the great city rules over the kings of the earth, this woman is. This is a scarlet harlot, as Adrian Wadgers called him. The scarlet harlot. And John, as he's introduced to this one, He said, and you look at the end of verse 6. In the King James it says, I wondered with great admiration. But basically what he said was, I was astonished with great astonishment. Now what was it that caused John to be so astonished with such a great astonishment? All right. Now John is invited to understand the mystery of her her doctrine. In verse 7. And the angel said to me, Wherefore didst you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. John finds the church, and the angel takes John to the church. But look in verse 3. The church is in the wilderness. You see that? The church is in the wilderness. Folks, the true church of, of Jesus Christ is not in the wilderness. The true church of Jesus Christ is reaching out and sending out water and sending out manna for people to have and to eat and to know the salvation that comes through Christ. But those who are uh, just a part of the world wanting to build religion so that they can bring tons of money into them and power so that they can be recognized and known just like they were in Babel. All of these things begin to lead them into a wilderness of desolation where they are just empty and alone and there's nothing to offer to you because the church doesn't care about you during that time. The doctrine of the church, if you read through there, the doctrine of the church is power over commerce, over the economy. They want to take control of all of the earth and they do it by religious means. They come to this church and and they they give everything that they've got, but nothing is ever given back to them. What they do is the kings come in and they try to buy favors. And they do anything that this this harlot wants them to do. Try to get the power that they need. All the people listen as the false prophet begins to speak and and the Antichrist begins to speak. And he talks about how good... And how faithful the Antichrist is. And and how good he is. And and here is his image. We see no God. But we see this image. Worship this image. And all good will come to you. We will take care of you. We will give you everything that you need. And they hear that. And they say, you know, that's so close to the truth. 
We just believe, we'll believe that and we'll follow that. There's only one religion. It'll be good for you. And they set up the idols so that you can worship them. And you can put yourself before them and they will give back to you everything that you need. They take everything they can from the church. That's why they are uh, from the people to give to the church. That's why they wear purple and scarlet. They get their money. They get their houses. They take everything away from them. And then they're dependent upon this uh, ecclesiastical place that they call a church. They become dependent on them and they care nothing about them. They turn their backs on them in desolation and that makes it a wilderness. Some will say, I want to worship this God. They say, that's fine, worship this God. I want to worship this God. Come worship your God here. Come worship your God here. We are a way of many gods in many ways. The abomination of the idols that are lifted up. And people will take hold of those. And John said, I'm astonished at how this is going to be during this time. And the doctrine is totally opposite of the things of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this Babylonianism that I was talking about? What is this Babylon, this great Babylon? It's the same thing that it was in Genesis. Now, Babel became Babylonia, and Babylonia became Babylon on the Euphrates. But nothing ever changed about that. You see, what they, what they wanted to do is they brought that in, it was just like building that tower that Nimrod built. They relied on themselves and not God. They didn't want anything to do with God. They just wanted to build it all themselves. They wanted to be their own gods. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? In the Garden of Eden, Satan told Eve, said, You're not going to die. He knows that you'll be a god just like he is. And so take this fruit and enjoy it so that you can be a god. The people of Babylon, they wanted to be a god. Nebuchadnezzar set himself up as a god. You remember when he raised the statue and had everybody come and try to tell him his dream and only Daniel could do that? They raised the statue and they stand forth. Remember Daniel? When they wanted to, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to identify the dream that he had and here's this great vision and he said he called his magicians, his astrologers, and his sorcerers. And they couldn't answer him. He didn't call on God. He called on magicians and astrologers and sorcerers. He said, man, I'm glad I didn't live back then. Folks, the very same mess is taking place today. We have in this world what is called a New Age movement. It started a long time ago and is still moving along. This New Age movement uh, defines itself as those who want to move out of this old archaic book and put themselves where they can be what they want to be. We've got people that are worshiping Satan. They, they literally bow down and worship him. And they thrust that in our face and they say, we can do this because this is a church. And because it's a church, then we can worship who we want, and we worship Satan. We've got people that go out, and they, they worship the earth. People want to run up and grab a tree and hug it and hang on to it. People that want to pick up the dirt and throw it under God and keep the leaves and everything out there that they can worship. And they say, I worship nature, and I can worship just as good out there as I can in here. No, you cannot, because you don't worship out there. You may talk to yourself, I don't know, but you don't worship out there. There's a globalism. 
that is coming together, where all this entire world is going to be one as far as religion goes, and they will be able to do anything that they want to do. Hinduism, Islam, all of these things are nothing but apostasies. And you know what the saddest thing is? We've got churches today that call themselves churches of God, but they will not preach about sin or death. They will not preach about the dying on the cross because that's a blood religion and that's, that's vile and that's dirty and that's nasty. They'll tell you how good you are and they'll tell you how good you can be and they'll tell you it's okay to just be good. And as long as you're good and doing everything you know to do, everything's going to be all right because we have a God that's just nothing but a Santa Claus. And he looks at the list and says, okay, you're good. But you know what they also they like to do? And you can follow it. I'm not making anything up. You can follow it. They'll take every bit of money you've got. And they want that money so that they can live a lifestyle where everybody else is just beneath them and below them. And they'll take that money and take it from you. And they don't feed and they don't win people to Jesus. They just build themselves in status. And we've got those churches all around us. And you say, but, well, you know, preacher, I listen to some of that. Well, I can't tell you what to do. But I'm going to tell you this. Because I heard a man say that he writes books and he's on TV and, and he's got a church that covers all of this block and, and has 10, 15, 20,000 people that come in there every Sunday and he tells them how nice they are and how good they do. And I was listening to that man being interviewed and he said in our church, we really don't know what sin is. So we don't talk about sin and we don't talk about sinners and, and we don't talk about those things. We just talk about, about how we can better ourselves and how we can be good. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. As long as that mess is going on, this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because that's what this Babylonianism is all about. I've made a name for myself. People recognize me. They see me. And they see me on TV and they, they see me uh, on Facebook and they, they listen to all of this mess and they go through this. If they do not lift up and preach Jesus Christ, leave it alone, period. That's what this Babylonianism is all about. You want to read what Paul said? You can read in, in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul said there's going to be a Pulling away the apostasy, people pulling away from the church because they like the, the idea of this good religion that's out there. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man working to God. Christianity is God coming down to man. And he gave us his son. He lived sinlessly. He died perfectly. He rose again in power. He ascended to heaven. And he is coming back again one day. And that is a church. Not this. It's happening to us, folks, right now. Right now. The seduction of the woman. She pulls in the king. She pulls in everything. She takes their money, everything that they've got. Now I want you to see the deception of the beast. If you look, we've, we've read the first part of chapter, or, or verse 7. The mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw in verse 8 
was and is not. He shall ascend out of the bottomless pit or the abyss and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. The woman and the beast combine their power. They take over the economy. They take over everything that, that you need. He's, we've already understood. He comes up out of the abyss. The abyss is the prison of the wicked spirits. This is not hell. It's a pit. And he comes up out of that pit. This is Satan bringing this one up. One of his minions, he brings him up so that he can serve as this Antichrist. He comes up out of the pit, he lives, he dies, he rises again, so to speak, and it's all done by the power of Satan. He will command the worship of the world. The masses will be under him, and he will demand that you fall down and worship him and him alone. He has seven heads. And ten horns, they represent seven mountains. John. John is under the persecution of Rome. And he's sending it to people that are under the persecution of Rome. Domitian is the, is the evil ruler that sent John to Patmos. Separated him from his church in Ephesus. Sent him out there, but it was by the plan of God. So that he could receive this from God. The only city that he knew and the only city that we know today that sits on seven hills is Rome. Rome. Represents seven mountains. Then there are the kings. Verse 10 says, and here are the seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Now tell me that don't confuse you. I'm still confused. Let's look at this for a minute. The seven kingdoms that he talks about. The seven kingdoms that, are, that constantly subjected God's people to persecution. Think about it for a moment. Those seven kingdoms, five of them are past. Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Grecian Empire. Then there was the sixth, which is Rome. The seventh that he's talking about is the revived Roman Empire. The revived Roman Empire will be in charge during that time. And they will rule with this harlot, with the Antichrist, and with the false prophet. This revived Roman Empire will be led by the Antichrist. And it says for a short space, a short time, seven years. He starts out peaceful. He settles disputes. He settles wars. He makes treaties. And then as the world falls at his feet because he's the greatest thing that this world has ever seen, then he steps in and puts himself in the temple of Jerusalem and he tears up the treaty. <coughs> and the second half of the tribulation begins. Worship the image. That's what the church will be about is worshiping 
the image. The ten horns are ten kings. They're looking for a kingdom. Look at verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Greed. Power. All of these people are wanting more and more and more and more. They just desire. They've got to have all of this and more that they want and they desire. And they come to the beast. And they become his minions. And he controls them in what he does. The, pro- the thing that happens is, verse 13 says, they, These have one mind and they give their power and strength to the beast. They turn against the harlot that, that we've mentioned. They give to the beast. Then the beast and these kings, they'll make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the prostitutes sitting are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Plural. The whole world will be involved in all of that. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast... They shall hate the prostitute, shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They're going to destroy the the church of the tribulation and tear it completely down to focus their attention on one man, and he's called the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to pull these kings together, and then they will belong to him. And they will follow him as he goes against the lamb that we'll see in chapter 19. When all of this begins to take place at Armageddon. All of this greed, all of this power. But you see the whole thing is they'll turn against the the prostitute and they'll give themselves to the beast because they hate religion. They hate everything about what is gone and now the church is gone. The true church. And now their religion is gone. And they have absolutely nothing. That is the desire of the Antichrist. Satan, he's going to rule and he's going to be in charge. And he has all of those with him that give themselves to him. Now I want you to see the dominion of the sovereign. Look at verse 17. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. You see, God was not just sitting up there saying, gee, I wonder what they're going to do next. God remains sovereign through every bit of this. When the tribulation begins, God is sovereign. In the middle of it, he's sovereign. At the end of it, he's sovereign. And he makes these these minions do what he wants done. Just like he makes the Antichrist do what he wants done. And he'll use the enemies for his own purpose. And he brings them all together. The church now is taken out. And now these people are waiting for God or for for, uh, the Antichrist to make his move. And they're going to reign with him and have everything that they need. Now look at verse 18. And the woman which you saw, it's a city. You see that? The great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. It's not a woman. It's a city. The city on seven hills is Rome. It's the only way you can explain that. 
It's the only way that you can understand that. And there's a lot of things that, that I could bring into this, and, and, but it would just kind of, you know, you, you have to be able to, to separate all of this. And, and I, you know, you can't just accuse one or the other, but it points to a, a certain particular area in the area of Rome because that's the only thing that's there, basically. And that's called the Vatican. That's all we know because that's all that's there. John saw it. His readers saw it. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And we've seen it as it, it comes down. What's going to happen there, I don't know. But I know this. It doesn't matter what takes place. God's in control of it. The seventh bowl destroys the beast's church. It's going to destroy his power. And God is going to reign. Now, we're going to see another side of this Babylon next week, but, or a couple of weeks. Let me, let me tell you something this morning. That's a whole lot, isn't it? So let me just kind of pull the net here. You have an opportunity right now to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't care if you've joined a church. I don't care if you're living a good life, and I don't care if you're trying to be a good person. What I do care about is that you follow what the Scripture says, and the Scripture says that unless we open up our hearts and invite Jesus to come into our hearts, folks, we're lost and without Christ. And this world can end at any moment. Are you ready for it? Would you be for the, ready for the rapture to come now? Would you be ready? If the rapture just went boom, here we were. I, I think that'd be the greatest thing in the world to be standing here telling you about Jesus and then to drop this sports coat. And y'all can have it. I'm gone. But I hope none of you are here. But if you don't know Jesus, you'll be here. And guess what? You'll be right here at this altar saying, oh, dear God, forgive me. You can do that right now. The church of the tribulation is a church of man with no regard for God. The church of Jesus Christ is knowing he is God. Jesus is your Savior. He is Lord. Come bow your knee before him. Trust him as your Savior and follow him. Let's pray together. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm offering you an opportunity to leave here this morning knowing Christ is your Savior. If you'll open your heart with me and in faith, you'll bow before God pray with me right now. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you pray that prayer with me, I want you to get up and come. I'll be right here to meet you. If you want to pray that prayer, get up and come. I'll pray it with you. You need Jesus today. Come and follow him.
Trust him. You need a church home. We got to get to serving the Lord. Folks, if, if we say that we love God, we love Jesus, and yes, I've been saved, then we can't ignore what he died for, and he died for the church. The church. That's why we want you to be here and worship with us. Come. I need a church home. Come, be a part of what God has brought you here to be. God laid these things on your heart. Would you come? This is what God wants. I've come to trust Him because, folks, you need Him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we search our hearts. Lord, I don't want to leave any of my family behind if the rapture comes. Lord, as people search their hearts this morning, Father, may you just bring such a burden that they can't do anything but step out. Give them boldness and let them stand for Jesus today. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in this invitation. In Jesus' name, as we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. Come now, but come quickly.